Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for tuning in again to the what is now the twelfth episode of the Replatform Podcast. It's uh, as always myself, James Gerd, and I'm joined by co-host Paul Rogers. Hi, Paul. How are you doing, mate? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, all good. Apart from uh, spending half my time cleaning up uh, puppy wee every morning, which is an exciting <laughs> thing to do these days. Um, but it's, uh, I'm looking forward to cracking on this episode. So, just a quick uh, bit of positioning, then we'll we'll get our our. Uh, expert guest contributor to introduce himself. So we're, we're talking about site performance, site speed, and what impact this has and why businesses need to take it seriously. And I think this is such a critical topic for anybody, regardless of what platform they're using or they're considering going to, because getting the user experience wrong by setting up the site so that it is actually slow and hard to use and doesn't load properly when you're on um, you know, weaker connections, it's going to have a fundamentally negative impact to the business, both in terms of like conversion loss, but um, also wider impact to things like um, you know, visibility in search, because we know that uh, page speed is a core um, factor in, in um, algorithms these days. So it's such a critical topic. I've got some experience of, of site optimization, as Paul has, but we're delighted to welcome um, somebody who's got a, a lot more detailed knowledge from the coalface of having done this um, uh, uh, from a, uh, you know, a head of e-commerce point of view. So uh, I'd like to introduce um, Stuart McMillan. So, Stuart, how are you doing, sir? Hi, James. I'm doing very well. And hi, Paul. And hi, everyone else. So, yeah, um, I'm Stuart McMillan. I'm head of multi-channel at Tizel Group. We're a Scottish retailer of uh, outdoor clothing equipment, including uh, bikes and uh, ski wear, as well as general walk and hiking, climbing, things like that. Uh, we're majority owned by uh, JG Sports, our lovely big brother looks after us well. Um, prior to Tizer Group, which I joined in August last year, uh, I worked for seven years at SHU as um, Head of e-commerce uh, optimization. Uh, before that, I worked for a couple of years for All Saints. So overall, been working sort of um, client side for about ten years. Uh, before that, I worked in a digital agency as a senior developer. Excellent, thanks for that intro. Um, and I'm really keen to to uh, explore this topic with you today because I know over the, the past few years I've always tapped you up shamelessly when I wanted some insights and knowledge from a technical point of view around site optimization because I think it's fair to say that, that it's not just me who would say this that, that you're considered quite a, um, a topic expert in the industry and I know you've presented at a lot of um, conferences and, uh, and events on this topic so we're going to drain you of your knowledge if that's all right. <laughs> Well, it's good that I've still got some left after two children and a depleted night's sleep that uh, I feel I do have a little bit less grey matter than I perhaps once did. Well, the good news is because you're now doing your cycling to and from work, if we exhaust you too much, you'll wake up on the ride home. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see um, how we get on. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so let, let, let's let's start at the beginning and go forward. So let's start with a, sim okay, a simple question, the fundamental question, which is, why is page speed important? Like, does page speed genuinely impact conversion rate and revenue uh, from your experience? And if so, why does it do that? Uh, yes, it does. Um, I guess, next question. No, so it does, um, it impacts it in a couple of ways. So I guess if, you're, if your site's really slow, it's going to have a clear impact on your conversion rate. People are just um, not going to, they're basically going to click off your site. Um, but then as your site gets quicker, then there are other negative impacts that are still apparent, even though your site is maybe relatively quick. And I'm talking around, say, five seconds or so, that people's attention starts to, 
sort of drift off and they aren't continuing with their journeys as much. Um, the queerest thing, I, queerest relationship I have seen between site speed and some sort of business metric is actually around bounce rate, where I, there is almost a, a, a linear relationship between uh, page load time and uh, bounce rate. So just to slow your pages, the more likely people are to leave in that uh, first page. But uh, there, there is a relationship between conversion rate, but of course there are many uh, factors in the conversion rate path. So it's not quite as clear cut as that, but yeah. It, it, and so it comes down to um, people just being annoyed enough about your site to leave or people just having reduced attention enough that they're not completing the e-commerce journey. Yeah, I'm glad because you touched on the whole user experience because sometimes people focus first on like SEO and, and rank and think, well, it's all about getting visible and, and at the top of Google, but fundamentally, the user experience piece is the most important. The for me, the the visibility and search and ranking is a secondary benefit of doing things the right way. And I'm glad you pulled out bounce rate because I've been in so many conversations where people say bounce rate is a nonsense metric, but it's only nonsense if you don't use it in the right context. So, you, so that's a good one you've explained to people that if you're seeing bounce rate um, as a land from a landing page point of view going up exponentially as page speed is getting worse. And that's a good indication that it's not helping you. Um, cool. I know, yeah, Paul, you had, you had some other, um, another question related to this. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to ask, um, given that you've worked with a number of bigger retailers, um, and I would imagine quite a lot of work has gone into some of these projects to improve page speed, um, how have you gone about trying to get buy-in from uh, different stakeholders? Like, have you uh, forecasted revenue benefits from these kind of projects or initiatives? Um, yeah, how have you kind of got people bought in? Yeah, um, well, one of the more interesting um, little projects I set myself was I, I basically crunched oh, a good few million sessions. Um, and what it did was, uh, I chose a specific metric, page load speed metric, which I think we'll probably get onto in a little while. But anyway, I chose a specific metric and bucketed sessions by their, their page load time and then looked at the conversion rate of those buckets and then graphed that out. And I could then show that there was, a, you know, a, what the relationship was between page load time and could then say, well, if page load time was increased to this amount, conversion rate should increase to this amount. Therefore, this would be the, the sort of revenue impact. And that was just done through um, collection through Google Analytics and uh, then crunch the data in um, BigQuery. Other analytics vendors are available. And did you find that people were generally quite receptive to that from the start or, I mean, particularly a few years ago? Um, when performance optimization wasn't quite um, as high in people's priority list as it is today? Um, or did you find that you really had to kind of justify it and then once you justified it on a couple of projects, people were more bought in? Um, I, I think it's probably worth giving like all due credit to SHU as an organisation. Across the board, they really value the customer experience and an efficient customer experience for example in stores they'll, they'll sort of work out how long it takes to make a transaction and what could be done to make the user's experience just good in store so there is a sort of lingua franca around the ease of a customer journey so i i think there was a, a kind of open door issue around just making the, the pages easier so i think uh, you know all due credit to shoe 
um, that was you know well baked into their DNA before I got there, and and still continues to be so. So I think uh, perhaps the the big message there is finding the language that works for your particular organisation, and because page load speed is just one facet of user experience, and but it's important to recognise that it is a facet of user experience. And I think people can kind of understand that, that benefit. But these days, there are more tools available um, from a number of different vendors. I mean, there's free ones from Google and the internet where you can do sort of what-if analysis around if your page was X amount faster, this what it might be. That's, uh, that's really interesting. Thanks for that. Um, and then another one. So how did how do you generally measure page speed and performance? Like what metrics would you look at? Are there any tools that you recommend over others? Sure. Um, so page load metrics is a, has got a kind of long and varied history. So it might be worth just taking a, a minute just to kind of go over that history that um, initially it was all about server response times, um, that performance was a, a back-end issue, that um, server technologies were slow, there weren't as, there as many optimizations done in the back-end through platforms. Um, so a lot of the, the metrics were just how quickly does the HTML respond. Um, then we moved into things like page load time, where it was um, where the onload event and the and the page fired, and that was when all the sort of critical assets were were loaded in, and and the page was effectively complete, shall we say? Um, and that was the kind of standard. I wouldn't say gold standard, but it certainly was the standard for a long time. And then the the move in the past few years has been to much much more sort of user centric measurements so things like um time to first interactive so uh where the user can actually start using the site so javascript's not blocking things and the, the site is is interactive or time to first contentful paint so when you start to see something uh, significant painted to the screen or indeed something like a uh, first hero paint where you've identified what is the the most um, vital content in the page and when is that actually shown to the page so but then all that aside the best metric is the metric that you have most closely can most closely relate to a business metric so I don't think there is a one gold standard metric. There is a gold standard metric for every company. And so custom user time and events are the place to go for, for metrics these days. Um, for many companies, it will probably end up being something like this sort of first um, sort of major paint and where all your major sort of hero content is shown in the screen. But it, it's about measuring lots of things and then looking at where you've got a, a strong correlation between that measurement time and then the um, some sort of business metric, so conversion rate or revenue or bounce rate, revenue per session or, or, or whatever, you, wherever you can really find a, a relationship. Yeah. Of interest, um, it'd, be, it'd be useful for non-technical listeners to kind of clarify about how you actually measure this because i think like server response time and, and full page load speed is, is easier to get your head around than time to interactive time to um like meaningful content and i know that there are technical ways where you can basically for want of, of better language like 
foreign event essentially so that you can measure when that part of the page load has happened and then track the time against it. Could you elaborate on that? How, how does it work in practice? How would you accurately track those particular metrics? Sure. So fortunately these days in a lot of browsers, um, you have um, a lot of the events are built in in the, um, in the sort of APIs in the browser. So you can get access to a lot of that. And one of the big issues with that is that Safari on and iOS doesn't support a lot of these events. So um, a lot of UK companies will have a significant um, iPhone audience. And so you will struggle to get those time and metrics out of there. But, um, you know, never fear, there are other solutions. So, uh, as I say, there are probably one of the, the first ports of call that you would look at would be your um, sort of main images on site. So, let's take, for example, your homepage. You might have your, your logo. You might have three or four banners on that page. There might be three of those above the fold. You might then have um, some other little sprites and, and things like that. But probably the rate determining steps are things like, is your logo loaded? And then are these big banner images loaded? Because they're probably, the banner images are probably the most kilobytes. They may be loaded by some sort of JavaScript technology. And maybe we'll go into optimization and talk about that. But um, they're probably a rate determining step for that above the fold content being displayed. So for any image loading, you can then attach a, an event for that, the onload event. You can then just in fairly simple JavaScript, just record the sort of start time of the page and when these images loaded and then whatever, whichever was the slowest loaded there, record that as your sort of hero load time. And then you can send that off to Google Analytics using one of the custom timing um, events. So Google Analytics within the sort of page speed metrics that it has, there are a number of custom timing events that are just empty boxes for you to throw some data into. Um, and you're good to go. And it really is not an expensive or really particularly difficult thing to do, I would say. Yeah, I think this is the key thing. Is, is It comes back to your earlier point about finding the metric that makes sense um, in the context of your business and what's important and what drives value. And measure it consistently because often, often people I think struggle to decide the metrics because there are so many available. And that leads me on to, to to the next question, which is, what is a sensible way for an e-commerce team to set goals around page speed? Because you see all these benchmarks says you know you've got to load within three seconds, it's got to load quicker on a mobile. You can benchmark using free tools um, against competitors and other leading retail sites and see where you can compare and contrast. Is that a sensible way or should you purely base um, page speed goals for your business around your current benchmarks and measuring increments against that? Um, benchmarking against competitors can be interesting, but it's not that actionable. And I don't think anyone should build a strategy to say, well, I want to be faster than competitor rates. You know, it's, it's Certainly, in previous roles, I've always just tried to be faster than we were last week. Um, but in, in terms of a sensible goal, I think the three-second mark's a pretty good one. However, the fastest in the industry, which is probably shoe um, these days, uh, shoe, the shoe site is loading in one second on desktop 
and on mobile and there's not really a long tail on there of sort of slower customers to me that's that's probably about the gold standard but i would say you should be aiming for uh, around a couple of seconds however be aware of averages there's no point in saying that your average is a couple of seconds if you've got you know, a small group of people who are getting the site hyper fast and then you've got a long tail of people who are getting the site really slow. And when you look at the actual numbers of people, there are more people getting a slow experience than a fast one. So beware of the average and really try and bring that long tail down, I think is a sensible goal. And just try and make the experience great for the biggest number of people. And are you talking about that long term, the context of segment, segmenting the, the data and looking at specific devices, browsers or, or um, you know, connective, connection speeds? I mean, where do you typically find that you get that spike? Um, well, I mean, that's quite a tricky question to answer, actually, because it's very site dependent. Yeah. But there is, I mean, I don't want to... Um, always talk about shoe because there are many other great examples there, but it's probably one that I'm most familiar with the data. Um, the shoe site is one second on desktop and one second on mobile. So actually segmenting across devices is not that useful. But looking at your own data, if you discover, you know, if mobile is slower than your desktop experience, which in a lot of sites it will be, then, you know, you, you're going to have to segment by device. Um, the number of dimensions that you know, you could have an Android problem, for example. I have seen that in the past where um, there, there are scripts, there's JavaScript that um, will be slowing down uh, Android devices in a way that iOS will not be slowed down just due to the iOS devices having a bit more horsepower. And I've definitely seen examples of that. In fact, I've seen examples of that and worked on that where we had to give a different experience to Android over iOS due to a third-party library slowing it down so badly in Android that the the conversion went like tanked for it. So um, it's hard to say what is the right and wrong segmentation. There is just a job to be done of looking at all your site speed data as a dimension and then applying a lot of different metrics and just looking at where you're starting to see your peaks and troughs and where um, you know, across the different dimensions of operating system or devices or effective connection types or whatever, where you're you're getting a problem. But that really is one that you need to do for yourself. Yeah, I, I think I think that was a very good explanation. Actually, I, I get what you mean. It's it's site specific, but I think that's what I was trying to tease out is what are some of the areas where actually, from a segmented point of view, you can you can sometimes find anomalies. And that one about Android versus iOS is, is definitely an interesting one. Um, this, this leads me on to, to um, uh, what I think is, is going to be another kind of key question for listeners is what are the common mistakes that people make? You've, you've worked across different sites. You've looked at page speed optimization and, and what's worked and what hasn't. And obviously, you know, a lot of other people in the industry. So what do you find people commonly do that bloat pages or slow them down or, or compromise that, that, that user experience that leads to a slower page? Um, so I would, uh, probably best to focus on mobile here. I would think that for the vast majority of e-commerce websites that these days their mobile traffic will account for, I don't know, 70, 75% of their traffic. So probably, and, and mobiles, you know, it is arguably more difficult to get right. So um, focusing on mobile 
is uh, is probably where is the most fruitful area. But the things that have a big impact in mobile. So mobile is typically bandwidth constrained. So even though we're often on 3G or 4G or, or hopefully 5G, um, often we're in spotty connections and, and still the latency in mobile is still a lot higher than we get on desktop and a hardwired fiber connection. There are just so many more steps in the mobile connection experience. Uh, so, uh, there's things we might not think about, but if you've not been using your mobile for a little while and then go to connect to website, the first thing your mobile's got to do is fire up the radio and connect out to base station and just do a hi, I'm here and authenticate and things like that. So there's a whole sort of hardware and software layers that uh, you don't get on a, a desktop site. So that um, bandwidth and uh, sort of uh, the kilobytes you're sending down the wire on mobile is critical. And it sounds so simple and it's, you know, it's been talked about for a decade now, the image size is a major issue. And it is. Um, people are still doing one size fits all images and, and not using modern image formats um, or indeed modern HTML5 markup like the uh, picture or source set and things like that. And are just basically delivering far too many bytes down the wire and slowing down what is their valuable content just by some big content in there. Some other big things. So after that, I would say that probably the biggest issue is JavaScript. So these days, many websites rely on JavaScript far too heavily through different frameworks that are being used. Um, you know, client-side rendering frameworks, I think, are um, to be completely avoided. Um, there are many um, other other frameworks that are just trying to do really clever things that are trying to turn the web into a sort of more stateful environment, whereas HTTP was designed as a stateless protocol. So, you know, they're try people trying to turn it into more of an application than I think your customers really need, um, just to be clever and to, I don't know, improve the development pipeline, but be detrimental to the user experience. And you've got to start with the user experience. So, images. JavaScript, and then I could go into about 50 other different things. Um, in the context of some of those things, um, what recommendations would you generally make to, say, an e-com platform? Um, so there are a number of platforms on the market that are associated with poor performance. What do you think that a platform should be doing, really, to, um, to kind of optimize the performance? Yep, that's pretty simple. Get your HTML right. A browser still very much depends on HTML um, and don't get the browser to construct that HTML. So send down the wire, the right structure, we start with the page, start with the information architecture on a page and it'll be better for SEO accessibility, it'll be better for site speed, but nail that HTML, make beautiful HTML is the number one thing that pretty much no e-commerce website does and is the most technically advantageous thing that they could do for a number of sort of specialist areas. So start with that, minimize the amount of JavaScript, rely on the browser APIs. Don't, don't, I think we need to go over the idea that every user gets the same experience. Every user should get a good experience, but that's not necessarily the same experience. So allow functionality to deprecate, uh, use um, progressive enhancement so that and there's a basic experience gets delivered and then once that's delivered 
you know, you can then enhance over the top, but don't let the basic experience, you know, if somebody's JavaScript fails, don't let the whole site fail. Start to pretend. Sensible advice. Um, I know that you're a proponent of, of data-driven decision-making in this area, so let the, let the data and testing validate whether something is working and having an improvement or actually having a, uh, a negative impact on site performance. From, from your experience, what are the types of tests that have the biggest impact? Is it simply coming back to the, the three areas you spoke about around like images, JavaScript, et cetera, or are there other things where, where you've tested and seen really good gains? Yeah, there are. Um, so if we go back to the metrics that I was talking about around sort of content, first contentful paint and things like that, there are a number of techniques. So, um, say lazy, um, not lazy loading techniques, but sort of faking it till you make it. So an example that I've worked on in the past was that a live help provider had a really, really slow widget. Now the live help was great for conversion rate, but the, the widget was really, really slow and we weren't having any headway in improving that. So what we did was we basically had a, a mock live help widget on the page and then the, the real one kind of loaded behind it. And so we made the page much more visually complete much, much earlier and the user wasn't getting a jarring experience and nobody was clicking on that live help um, sort of facility live chat facility within the first couple of seconds anyway so it made no realistic difference to the user negative difference to the user experience users experience of the chat but massively increased their um perception of how quickly the page loaded so you know it's perfectly valid to sort of lay out the page with empty blocks to save sort of layout instabilities for example that's something that google allow you to um, through Google Analytics and through, I think, Chrome now have a, a layout instability API where you can then say, oh, the page jumps about a bit. So to try and avoid layout instability, it's fine to kind of have a, a skeleton of the page as images load in and, and sort of set dimensions in there. And that, these sorts of things are all about perceived performance, but can make a massive difference to the user's ex you know, experience and, and sort of emotional how they feel about how your site's loading yeah I, I like the point about you don't have to remove something but change the way it's loaded so that there's a visual clue that it's there but the functionality uh, can load after so it doesn't slow down the the meaningful content above it and so that's a nice i guess that's a nice differentiation between those who, who would uh, advocate take stuff off the page to just reduce the size if you look at google photos you know they have a um just a colored square if you're in a slow connection then they're just a colored square before the photo loads and it is the sort of primary color of the image and they've just sort of colored sampled that image and just say oh here's a, a hex code and it just it just gives you a much more much more pleasant loading experience you just feel that something's happening and sometimes you just need to give her give the user a hint that yes, the interface is coming, and you know the, the the worst thing is when you're just sat looking at a white screen, gone. Has my connection died? Has their server died? Is what's wrong? Does the website exist at all? So just give that you give them a bone, throw them a bone. Yeah, that I think I think that's quite a good way of explaining. It. It's horrible, isn't it? When you sit there and you're thinking, yeah, did my connection die, and therefore it's not the website's fault, or is the website crap and hasn't understood my request and 
Whereas you, I've had those times on mobile where I end up closing my browser, reopening it, thinking maybe it was a connection issue, and actually it wasn't. It was the website hanging, which is really irritating. And that irritation won't uh, endear you to actually completing whatever journey you were doing in that website. No, especially given that I have an attention span issue anyway in life. Um, so that makes it even worse. That uh, kind of leads me on to the, the technology landscape because e-commerce is constantly evolving. There's all sorts of acronyms get, and phrases get chucked out. But, but you know, whether it's PWA, headless, AMP, but fundamentally, what, you know, there are technological advances in terms of the toolkits available, what browsers can do, what platforms can do. What I'm really interested in is your viewpoint at the coalface of, of, of managing, trading and optimising websites. What do you think over the last few years is pushing performance forward the most and, and what will continue to, to benefit people who want to create fast and, and really enjoyable website experiences? Um, okay, so AMP bad, PWA good um, is perhaps my headline here. So I'm a big advocate of progressive web apps. I don't necessarily like the name. I don't think they necessarily need to be given a name. It's just a website. So for me, um, good looks like a well-implemented, responsive website with layers of uh, progressive enhancement on top of uh, you know more in, more advanced browser features. So things like saving um, your browser, your website as a almost like an app on your home screen. So save to the home screen or offline functionality using service workers or browser push messaging. Uh, I think all those can be layered on top. You give it, there's no detrimental experience to those who can't get the tech and, and you're reaching a really, really wide audience. So yeah, that is something to be, to be looked at. And I think in my mind, there'll be fewer and fewer um, native apps for e-commerce going forward and more and more progressive web apps. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, looking at app store usage and the number of apps people on average have installed and actively using has dropped off quite a bit. Um, there's some core apps which will seem to be uh, never going away. But yeah, I think yeah. you're right from a retail e-commerce, definitely. The other bit I'm interested in on this is um, another irritating acronym, SPA, single page app. So I know a few agencies who've decided to build out their, their solution on a platform using an SPA framework uh, because they're able to, to basically reduce the number of active server calls by having more of the content information available just to, to be displayed um, when the person's interacting via the browser. Have you used SPAs? Have you come across sites where you think work effectively in them? Um, any strong thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. I, I think SPAs can work for smaller sites. Um, I have concerns about them around things like SEO and accessibility and a number of areas like that. Um, and also think as your site gets more complicated, then I, I don't necessarily think there's a you know a massive advantage. I, I, I think as well, the problem that they're trying to solve around that sort of bites over the wire, I think can be broadly solved by some good, just good optimization. You know, uh, look at pretty much every website and the HTML is in really bad nick and, you know, it's just bloated as anything. And I think you could probably get a lot of the benefit of an SPA just by having a bit of a spring clean. Um, 
and you would then perhaps reduce some of the risk around, say, for example, SEO and things like that. And I know Google allegedly will render your JavaScript and are allegedly getting quicker, but there's still a delay in there, and it's still a risk I wouldn't want to take. I don't. It's just one I would just take off the take off the table and go well. Why risk it? I know Google can understand flat HTML really well. Let's just go with that. That makes sense. I think um, in the past I've seen other search engines have issues as well with JavaScript, um, which is another one. Obviously, Google's getting better, but some of the other ones are still quite behind. Um, so another question. So continuing on with mobile. So James mentioned earlier that you led a pretty big project um, for a big retailer around uh, making a site responsive and generally optimizing around mobile. Um, one question I wanted to ask was how you kind of defined which devices, screen resolutions you were optimizing to and kind of how you set things like breakpoints and generally kind of how you approach that. Um, yeah, so that was quite a few years ago now, but um, really the approach was to come back to just creating turning off styles, turning off JavaScript and everything like that, trying to create um, an HTML page structure that generally worked across devices, that we're having to do as little manipulation as possible, but that we started on mobile um, as being the most correct of basic layouts and sort of information flows. We didn't want mobile to have to do any real computation and rearrangement of the page. Whereas we felt that if there was any rearrangement or you know, DOM manipulation or anything like that to be done, that desktop could well afford to do it. And at that time, we could also see that um, the direction that mobile was going and that mobile was going to be the future of the traffic, if you like, that 70, 80% of traffic was going to be coming from mobile devices. So it was sensible to prioritize them. So that was the sort of the at the most basic level um, that just avoid manipulation in terms of things like screen sizes and resolutions. I mean that was all delivered from you know got out of GA looking at what sizes were currently being used, but also what sizes were up and coming. And it's not to say, you know it's not a, a done deal. It then needs reviewed every year, eighteen months, or whatever. You know with the next iPhone triple XL comes out, well, what's that going to mean for, you know, where are calls to action on your page and everything like that. But um, we kind of had to start somewhere. It was the principle was that it would, you know, render well on, you know, 95, 99% of actual um, users that were on the site. And then the others wouldn't get an, an unusable experience. But we had to accept that giving everybody an identical experience was not the most user-centric thing to do. The user doesn't isn't comparing your site across devices. It's only you and your management board and a designer, a purist designer somewhere, but it's not actually, it doesn't actually matter to users. And then you can spend ages trying to like engineer things to work perfectly across browsers, but you end up making it super brittle. So definitely don't do that. That makes sense. Um, and then a slightly different question. So something you touched on earlier on um, was around kind of load screens and kind of trying to show that certain parts of the page is loaded um, when other parts of the page are still loading. 
Um, so I was going to ask if you've seen any impact from kind of techniques to uh, kind of improve perceived load speed, if that makes sense. So things like loading screens, um, kind of loading states, all of those kind of interactions. Yeah, I, to be honest, I couldn't give you any like hard and fast sort of it makes it this much better because it wasn't actually something that I've come across measuring. What I would say is, in terms of a piece of advice, try and, for all the critical content, don't have it loaded by some, by JavaScript at all. Certainly, you know, or certainly not by some sort of JavaScript library that you're having to, first of all, load jQuery to then uh, wait in that, loading and parsing, and then loading in firing off some other jQuery script and you've got this massive chain of events before your content loads. Really the stuff that really matters to user, the above the fold content needs to be in that sort of base document. That then allows the browser to look ahead um, and parse the document and, and start pulling content forward as quick as possible and you can use things like sort of prefetching and, and the resource hints to then accelerate that process. Um, really loading screens and, and uh, loading spinners or anything like that should really be avoided where possible. You really need to look at your engineering and say, is there anything we could do to just get the base content there quicker? Um, and if not, why not? Because um, you know, in sites that I've worked on, it wasn't an area of real focus. The focus was just get that page there as quick as possible and you try try and avoid workarounds and just work with the browser. That makes sense. Um, and then I think, James, you had another question. Yeah, I, I, I'm uh, thinking crystal ball time, Stuart, the, the, the joys that everyone likes to do. You know, what's coming up? What's the next big thing? So. Do you think in, site, in terms of um, yeah, user experience, site performance optimization, that the principles that need to be applied are going to be broadly consistent over the next year or so? Or do you think, the because browsers and technologies change so quickly, that there are likely to be new things that people need to be aware of? And is there anything newish that you think people need to read up more about and understand the impact of? Um, I think layout instability will start to be talked about a bit more, but I think it'll only really be talked about by those who have done a lot of work on existing site speed. But uh, I think we'll all have been on websites where you go to click on a button, then all the content around it shifts, and then you click on the wrong thing, and and it's just, and then you go to a page you didn't tend to go to, then you have to go back, and the whole process has got to start again. So these sorts of annoying user experiences, I think, will become um, much more important. And of course, things like, you know, of course, it's becoming much more a part of SEO, and, and people need to, you know, really get that that it's probably the the most important organic ranking factor um, on mobile that that people are not paying enough attention to. And I do wonder if something like layout instability might then come into the, you know, the rank or I'd be part of that site speed uh, sort of calculation as Google does get better at uh, sort of JavaScript rendering and things like that. So I would certainly encourage people to think about how does your page jump about as it loads and, and what could be done to make it as um, smooth as possible in, in, in terms of future step. But most people get to that, 
two seconds or sub two seconds if you can using real data not just some sort of synthetic monitoring looking at your real customers excellent that, that's a new phrase i can use I, I, but i know exactly what you mean the layout instability thing i've seen that a lot on heavy content sites where you might have like news sites for example list of articles the page loads and you think you're clicking on the article you want but then it's jumped and you're in a different article and then you you you're looking at it going hang on a minute did i press that by mistake and then you go back and if the reloading issues still persist then you can have i've done this two or three times in the same journey where i then get so annoyed with myself yeah yeah i've definitely seen sites as well in the e-com space where people have tried to uh, kind of optimize um, as much as possible to get this uh, page loading quickly uh, but then the rendering pass off and it just doesn't feel very premium and um, so yeah I've definitely seen a lot of that in the past yeah um, the render sorry Bob, I was just gonna say the rendering side of things is I mean something people aren't really looking at and it does look quite complicated but um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, fertile ground looking at how your page renders. So instability is one part of that and a really important part of that. And, you know, a lot of your browser tools like Chrome has an excellent suite of tools for looking at how your sites render in across different devices and, you know, do remote debugging on your actual Android phone, for example. And you know, there's a lot of great tools out there that everybody could be using. Absolutely. Um, so last question for me. Um, do you have any recommended reading for people that are generally looking to kind of optimize their site and bring um, their site in line with best practice or any kind of conferences or people you think they should follow on Twitter or anything like that? Um, oh, there's so many people. Well, look at the hashtag webperf, um, I would say, first of all, on Twitter. Um, there are a number of people. Um, in the UK who are really, really good at this. Um, so Andy Davies, I would recommend as an independent consultant. Um, Harry Roberts as well, um, Mr. CSS Wizardry. And uh, that would be in terms of UK consultants, but there are many international people. You've got you know, people who work for some of the big CDNs. You've got people like um, Tammy Everts, uh, Cliff Crocker, Cliff Crocker, really, really interesting guy who, you know, used to work at Walmart Labs and did some of the very early work around the relationship between uh, site speed and conversion rate there. And that's a piece of research that still like, holds weight to this day. Um, in terms of conferences, you've got um, Performance Now, uh, Perf Now conference coming up. Um, and then, um, yeah, there there's... I think there used to be Velocity Conference, but that's not really around anymore. Uh, there aren't really any UK conferences around web performance that I know about coming up. Um, but follow these people on Twitter and they'll be able to, um, uh, they'll be shouting out about all the events they attend, I would say. Excellent. That's, that's a really useful list. Thanks. Um, and that's been an absolutely um, uh, brilliant um, uh, set of answers and loads of practical, useful information. So, a huge thank you, Stuart, for taking the time to, to share your knowledge and experience. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's uh, great to speak to you guys. And uh, yeah, there's still a topic I'm very passionate about. And anyone can hit me up and ask me any advice. I'd be happy to help. I'm not a consultant, but I'm happy to help. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And out of interest, are you speaking at any conferences this year? I haven't got anything planned. No, uh, with changing roles last year, I've got 
quite a lot to take care of. So I'm really just uh, focusing on that just now and then we'll okay. take it from there. Fair enough. If that does change, do let us know and we'll happily uh, um, share with our audience as well because I'm sure they'd be interested to hear hear more from you. But um, that's brilliant. So that, that's covered everything we want to do. So hopefully for everyone listening, that's given you some really good pointers about why site performance is so critical, but also some of the things you sh- you can and should be thinking about and conversations to have with your, your technical teams, whether that's internal or through external partners. Um, and Stuart said, feel free to hit him up if you've got other questions. And as always, you can contact myself or Paul via LinkedIn and Twitter. So thanks again for listening and uh, enjoy the rest of your day.